This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. I'm Rocky Lalvani, the Profit Answer Man. And when I'm not helping small businesses stack Benjamins for themselves, I'm stacking Benjamins for myself. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to National Skeptics Day. And, uh, I'm not really sure it's National Skeptics Day. I mean, it sounds like a scam if you ask me. But one thing I am not skeptical about is balance. Which do you choose if you're trying to get ready for a great future, but also want to win today? Here with strong ideas on that topic, we welcome the former chairman and CEO of Honeywell, David Cody. Speaking of skeptical, Bitcoin and all cryptos are through the roof. Should you be skeptical or should you jump in? Of course, we'll have a take. And to wrap this show up and put a bow on top, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Michael, who was on unemployment earlier this year. Will Michael need to pay taxes on that money? And of course, I'll make sure to share some techie trivia with y'all. And now two guys who I'm still pretty skeptical about. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. And it's Wednesday, and I'm still skeptical about this week, too. Hey, everybody. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and happy hump day to you. Got the coffee ready. Mom is baking, which is a good thing and a bad thing. The good thing is we get those great smells. The bad thing is, oh, gee, we might have to take a break partway through this show to go get some of that. 
Well, it all depends on what kind of brownies they are, I suppose. <laughs> might have to do all of our work first. <laughs> might, to, might to finish this up. It's yeah. legal now. I don't think it's brownies, though. I think it's bread, so that's good. Oh, okay. Yes. That's a weird, that's a weird combo. We'll get that done. We're going to talk bread first, then we'll eat bread later. How about that? Break bread. Break bread. You and I will break some bread. Nice job. Remember when we used to do that? Like you used to go to like restaurants and meet with friends and we'd sit around a big table Was and we'd that a laugh thing? and have fun. Did that happen? Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. I remember it. We have a fantastic show today. I've read two good business books lately. The first one was by a gentleman named Bob Iger. Never heard of him. Just fantastic book. And then the second book is a book by a gentleman that uh, Bob Iger highly recommends. And in fact, the top of this book has an endorsement from Bob Iger. And that's David Cody's book, who is waiting in the wings, OG, for us to talk to him. Of course, I would say if there's a third book, it would be the Netflix book that we talked to Aaron Meyer about last week. But here's, here's the problem. You want to have things now. You want to do stuff now, but you also want to prepare yourself for better stuff later. So which one comes first, OG? Do you prep for later? Do you take care of now? Uh, which one yeah. do you do? I mean, do you know what I do or what the right answer is? <laughs> well, David Cody practiced this uh, for 18 years as chairman and CEO of Honeywell. He's got... Uh, not just some strong opinions, but some strategies to make it work for you, your team, your family. But first, we have a couple of uh, very interesting headlines today, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Bloomberg News. And uh, in case you've been hiding under a rock, cryptocurrencies all over the place, going through the roof in value. Crypto market value tops $1 trillion as Bitcoin hits $38,000, this headline says. Uh, the total market value of cryptocurrency surpassed a $1 trillion for the first time last Thursday amid a frenzied and volatile rally in Bitcoin to yet another record. Cryptocurrencies hit the milestone after a five-fold climb in market value in the past year, data from tracker CoinGecko shows. Uh, strategists have cited demand from speculative retail traders, trend-following quant funds, the rich, and even institutional investors is among the reasons for the surge. I would also say there's another reason for the surge, OG, which is... Uh, Crazy. Well, when you have this much money that is flowing into the economy from the government propping things up, I think a lot of people speculating that we might have some inflation when it comes to the dollar coming. Is this the... Modern day equivalent of playing the Forex. Is this just a, a Forex exchange to get money in different currencies so you don't worry about inflation as much? Well, I think first you'd have to assume that Bitcoin is a currency. And secondly, you have to assume that it doesn't happen uniformly throughout the you know worldwide economy. Almost every country has near zero interest rates right now. Which means so, that you're saying then that the speculative aspect of this that Bloomberg's talking about here is probably more hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. I mean, there's an article that I read uh, or saw the headline of. I didn't read it, but it said, you know, JP Morgan puts X, whatever, you know, X price target on Bitcoin due to fundamentals. Like fundamentals. <laughs> what? 
Yeah, because of their profit and loss statement? Is that the fundamentals they're talking about? Because of their awesome CEO? What the hell are they talking about? It is interesting, though, to see all of these companies. I mean, Wall Street is loading up on cryptos. And we, yeah. we've said this before, it still doesn't make it not the Wild West. It still feels very much like the Wild West. I uh, had a Bitcoin account, a Coinbase account years ago, back in the heyday of Bitcoin, back when it was only like 19,000. Oh, you got into Bitcoin before everybody was in Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, I also got out when it was... Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but I finally, it took forever to get logged because, you know, you're supposed to, it's supposed to be secure, right? So I, you know, you know, sometimes you, uh, put on a coat you haven't worn since last fall and there's like a 20 in there. You're like, hell yes. That's what I was thinking. I was like, well, maybe my Coinbase wallet will have like a long lost Bitcoin in there that I bought years <laughs> ago and forgot all about somehow gained Bitcoin interest of some kind. Like finding a $10 bill in your jeans. And I'm a gozillionaire. Yeah. So anyways, it uh, turns out I have four one millionths of a Bitcoin. There you go. Uh, still in my wallet. Uh, rounded, that's still zero, unfortunately. Oh. But I did look at the transaction history. Sometime in 2018, I can't remember the date, I did sell my one-third Bitcoin. Uh, I did sell it um, for uh, 2900 bucks. My brother-in-law and I, I remember 2014-15-ish talking about uh, cryptos and me telling him that it just not an investment, very speculative. Listen, go for it, but not for me. And uh, he was heavily involved in Bitcoin then and ended up, remember the last big run up a couple of years ago? Yeah, that's when I got in right at the top. That's when you're supposed to get into stuff, right? That's when he sold. He sold most of his stuff. He kept some sold a lot of it. Now the little bit that he kept is worth every bit as much as the huge amount at the time that, that he sold. But he goes back to some of the early transactions because he did use it like it was currency. He said, I, he bought, my brother-in-law bought my sister a pair of slippers back in the early days. And he looks at what the price For $38, of those- $38,000. <laughs> right. He was saying they're like $18,000 slippers. No. Oh yeah. How about that? Just just crazy, crazy slippers. Here is for people, because you and I, OG, haven't talked about cryptos in a long time. Here's where we come down on Bitcoin. I think of it a lot like a component of an investment policy that is like precious metals. I would say that's probably an evolving philosophy. Would you, unless you're Len Penzo, have your entire portfolio in gold or silver? Or Probably not. Could you have... 5% of your portfolio? Does it add some ballast, as it were, to the portfolio? Last year, as a matter of fact, precious metals, number one in uh, asset allocation returns. So yeah, but the likelihood of it being number one forever. Just the same thing about all my money's in large US growth stocks. They're all in tech. Is it always going to be number one? I know all those of you who have invested the last 12 years and maybe that's the only time that you've invested. You must think that that's the only thing that is number one, large growth, but asset allocation matters. So little bit, maybe if you want to trade it, then, then you got to think of it like you, like it really is. That is purely a gamble. It's purely speculative. If you're saying, Hey, I'm going to, you know, sell it at 38,000 and buy it back at 27,000 when it crashes and you know, all this but other sort of stuff. But it's that's speculative trading. anyway. Just the nature of it makes it well, speculative. Well, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But 
it adds some legitimacy when you see other firms, bigger firms. Now, remember, JP Morgan gets in it for a billion. They can stand to lose it. Like it goes away and it vaporizes. They're like, yeah, you know, Jamie Dimon doesn't get a big bonus this year. Oh, shucks. You know, they're, they're still going to be okay. You and I lose 10% of our portfolio. It's a difference if it's gone, gone versus market volatility gone, you know, so you got to kind of keep that in mind, but a little bit. Okay. I like our friend David Stein's take on it from money for the rest of us. David talks about how it's difficult to call it an investment because of the fact that you invest based on data and there is precious little data that you can use to determine where this might go next. Well, apparently the data only shows that it goes up. So we got that going for us. Was it Mark Cuban who said this or somebody said this about Mark Cuban that when Bitcoin hits a million, he's going to run for president? I wonder what Mark Cuban has in his investment policy statement. (laughs) If Tesla hits 10,000, we will quit the podcast. Let's see what happens. Seeing the state of uh, politics right now. I think if I'm Mark Cuban, I'm going, please don't hit a million. Please don't hit a million. Please don't hit a million. I saw the ultra conspiracy theory the other day. Here it comes. Speaking of politics, speaking of politics, because uh, this is a political show. uh, Did you see that uh, potentially Kim Kardashian and Kanye West are going to, uh, they're going to, it looks like they're headed for divorce. divorce, Yeah. Yeah. You might've seen that. And Kanye has already said that he's wanted to run. In fact, he did run for president this year. That's right. And, Rumor has it Kim also wants to run for president someday. So could you imagine Kanye West versus Kim Kardashian? Those are the two choices on your ballot. (laughs) That's why they had to get a divorce. You can't be running against your spouse. Yeah, you can't. Well, you can if you're Frank Underwood in House of Cards. I think uh, all people need to remember when it comes to Bitcoin and cryptos is this is supposedly a currency People are buying it like it's an investment. Which one is it? And this is where my confusion still comes from to this day around around cryptos, OG. I get the fact that people buy gold and you buy gold really as a currency play more than anything else. I don't think, you know, there's no there's no utility in gold. They're not using it in manufacturing. So kind of has to be an inflation play a uh uh well it's it's sold as an inflation play but obviously it's not inflation adjusted <laughs> it's agreed but the irs previously said that it is not a currency and when you buy a cheeseburger using crypto they're going to charge you a capital gains tax, meaning There's capital gains taxes on that. Meaning it's it's not a currency. But on the other side, the SEC has regulated in the past so far, and we see some changes to this. As now the SEC goes, ooh, maybe there's some, maybe maybe we should get in on this thing. But the SEC has said, hey, this is a currency, not an investment, so we don't need to regulate it like other investments. And of course the exchanges for crypto have been very happy with that ruling because both sides are saying ain't me, but it's coming. OG. I think people that think that, that it's beyond the reach of the U S government or other governments, cryptos, you got, you got nothing coming. Well, we did this story a couple of months ago about the unbreakable wallet that the supercomputers at the NSA broke and got their billion. 
you know, from a seizure of some kind. Yeah, it's it's coming. And our second headline comes to us from uh, money.com. Money. Man, that is just a succinct website, isn't it? What do you want to call your website? Let's call it money. I feel like uh, money.com got in on the ground floor of URL addresses. This piece is written by Martha White. Credit repair, should you pay to fix, fix in air quotes, well, in this case, in online blog post quotes, your score. And it's an interesting question because, oh, gee, we see these people that can make your credit score better online all the time. And if you're somebody who's really struggling with your credit score, maybe. In fact, Martha writes, when your credit is poor, it can be tempting to look for a quick fix. And if you pop on over to Google, you'll find no shortage of services promising to goose your credit report, boost your score, and make you look like a better borrowing candidate for a fee, of course. Experts beg to differ. At best, so-called credit repair services will lighten your wallet to the tune of hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. Performing due diligence, you can easily do yourself for free. At worst, they'll carry out activities that are unethical or even illegal. If the tricks are discovered, those black marks will go right back on your credit report and don't even think about trying to get your money back. It's funny that uh, she takes that stance because there's actually a couple people I know who are in that field, OG. But yep. I guess I guess where she's drawing a line is the people I know will teach you how credit scores work. And just by knowing that knowledge and getting rid of a few A, bad habits, and B, maybe moving money around, you're able to uh, to clean it up and make your credit score look better. But they charge a fee for that knowledge. Yeah, and maybe they should. All of this information is public knowledge, right? The black box of credit scores has been decoded. And if you put some significant time and energy into researching it, you can figure out kind of what makes it tick, plus or minus. I think we've all done really dumb things with our money. I am uh, famous for saying... <laughs> Everything that you've done with your money wrong, I've done twice. So I've I figured out how to do this on my own. Like I know how to ruin your credit, and I know how to <laughs> I know how to fix it. Also, <laughs> ruining is much more fun, by the way. It uh, is well in the moment. In the moment, I, I, it is. I would say the the months after are not so fun. But just like you know the phrase, you can't out exercise a bad diet. You can't out whatever out money your bad credit score if you're still doing the bad behavior. So the piece that I think that got buried there that you kind of just glossed over that you said, Joe, was you got to fix the underlying thing first. You can't be piling other sort of garbage on top of this while you're trying to do it. You need a clean slate. Uh, I can't just go and uh, party like it's 1999, to quote Prince from Monday. Of course, right now, Comerica Bank is... Parting like it's 1999 with Prince's estate, I think. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and a bunch of lawyers yeah. parting with it. So you can't keep the habits going and just hire somebody to clean it up on the back end, is what you're saying. No, and I think a couple of things. Firstly, you got to kind of stop the stuff that went bad to begin with. And for us, our experience was we went purely to the cash diet. And I don't mean literally cash. We use just our debit cards out of our bank. But for a period of time, the better part of about I don't know, 12 or 15 or 18 months, we just couldn't be trusted with credit cards. And despite our best efforts, even saying like, well, this month we'll get all of that stuff paid off and then we'll do this other thing. It still didn't work. So we just said, okay, that's it. We have to like just live on what we have, 
It will suck because we're used to living on more, obviously, at this point. But the only way out of this is to go through it. Just build those correct habits the right way. So the first thing for us was just kind of right-sizing everything based on living on what we had, living on cash. And it's funny because people ask for tricks and actionable advice. I'll tell you, if you live OG the way that you're talking about where it's cash only, because uh, I had to do that for over three years. Uh, same thing when my yeah. when everything got really bad for me. I had my year of making no money. And I ah, those were the years. Oh, those were those were so great during that. What, what what was your lowest? Was it literally zero, or do you just round to zero? Because I can round to zero. No, I was living on loans from family. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. It, it was zero. Were you married? Yes. Yeah. My lowest year ever was I made six hundred dollars. Oh, for the entire year, I made I made uh, eleven thousand five hundred. Okay. All right. Hey, so that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That was my second. My first year as an advisor made 10,000. My fourth year as an advisor made 600. Yeah. Because I went, I went from that, and you remember this stuff from American Express days. I went from the employee side to the business owner side. Yeah. And they, they didn't bring up all of the relevant facts of that transition. What? Are you kidding me? And <laughs> the, 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 the general manager, the sales guy didn't, didn't really point out all this stuff. Anyways. Uh, it sounds like the email you and I got a couple days ago. Oh, by the way. By the way, yeah. actually, we, we, told, we, we, we did tell you this, yes. but we're going to remind you again, because this is a good, a good, things are going great for you. Yes. <sighs> Here's the other shoe to drop. Just kidding. It's not that big of a deal. No. But, and actually, uh, Westwood One did a, a solid by picking up some fees for yeah, for the first several months and then said, oh, by the time. way, uh, remember how we said those are, are here and they're in your contract? They're coming back. But yeah. we've been eating them. Do you think that was really, by the way, not to have this be a public thing, but I think it kind of is sidebar, but I, but I think it kind of is fun sidebar. Your honor. Do you think that that email was correct and they were just doing us a salad or do you think somebody in the back room went, Oh, shit. we have not been charging them this one I think fee that it's, for the I last think that it was months. so low of a dollar amount that it was, I think based on how tactical these fine folks at Westwood one are, I would not be surprised if that's part of their strategy. At their, you know, because yes. they got to onboard you and, yeah. you know, get everything set up and then they go. Oh, well. Yeah. So you think, you think she was being honest when she said that, that, that is part of the, part of the thing. I do. Yes. Yes. Which is nice. She's a very, she actually so far has been a very, everybody at Westwood One's been fantastic. Yes. Uh, but anyway, anyway, so back, back to the point at <laughs> hand. So you're broke. I'm broke. We're living on credit cards. Yes. Life sucks. And the thing you have to do is you've got to just. You got to be okay with what it is. It just is what it is. This is the money you make. You got to live like it. That's what happened to us. And I'll tell you, it is, it is great because everybody's budget's a little different. But when you run out of money with four days left in the month and you've got to figure out how to bridge that gap without having any resources whatsoever. Oyster crackers. Was my go-to. Well, two things happen, OG. Number one is you never make that mistake again. True. That budget is tighter earlier in the month than it was the month before. So you teach yourself a lesson. But then number two, you also start developing strategies that actually work. Like people say, my budget my budget doesn't work. Well, that's because your budget's too flip-floppy. You know, it, it doesn't have guardrails that work for you enough because – Hey, let's be honest. You've got this credit line over here. You got this cash you can go to. Cash makes everything easy. 
You yeah. know, your brain doesn't think of great strategies. Instead, your brain goes, well, but why don't you just go use to the, the MX? Yeah. Go to the line of credit. You got the line yeah. of credit over there. Go to that. So, you know, when we say with our discover commercial that if you pay your credit cards off every month, do this. What we're also saying is do not, do not do that. If you don't pay it off every month, that's right. a hell of a bill. So right-size your life. The second thing that I think helped me a ton in fixing all of this for us, and I'm talking about, you know, we had the, we, we you know, we're 20 years old at the time. We had the, eh, what does it matter if you're 30 days late on your credit card? What does it matter if you're, you know, 30 days late on your car payment? What does it matter if you forget to make a hospital payment, you know, and they ding you for it? It matters a lot when you go to get a mortgage, you know, they go, ooh, pass. But that was in the glory days. They're like, so you're good for this, right? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> that's another whole story. I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell you that story in a second about how I got, how we got our first mortgage. Well, that's horrible because a guy that I worked with back in the glory days of just uh, whatever, whatever amount you needed on that house you could get. And I don't know if that's where you're going so with that. I distinctly remember I was standing on my mom's porch. I don't know why I remember this, but I, we were visiting my mom. We were we had put a contract in on this house that we were going to buy. The builder had referred us to this mortgage company, so we were using them. And the guy calls and goes, "Okay, we're just looking over your application here, and uh, you guys are going to do the zero down." I'm like, "Yeah, zero down, of course. Why would you Duh. put any money down on a house? God doesn't make any more land. It's going only going to go up from here." Duh. And then he goes, says here that uh, Mrs. OG makes uh, eleven thousand a month, and I'm like, "What?" No, 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 no. It's like uh, like uh, forty eight hundred or something. He goes says here, Mrs. OG makes eleven thousand a month, and you go, uh, yeah, yes. I said, oh, is that what it says? And he goes, that's what it says. And I said, ah, uh, it's you know rounding, but <clears throat> you know. And he goes, okay, good. So you're approved. Uh, we'll get this self uh, funded, and uh, oh my we'll be goodness. good to go. Like that was the extent of the mortgage underwriting. Listen to this four hundred thousand dollar house <laughs> for two kids that made forty grand a year. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong there? Yeah, it was great. And then they sent us that bill that first month, and I'm going, wait, how much? Huh? What? What do you mean this includes? I, can, I don't have to pay this tax thing, right? Like I can do whoa, that whoa, later. Whoa, yeah, yeah. This wasn't included. Home, what's homeowners? Huh? <laughs> homeowners. Ah. Yes, I don't need that. God, I should write a book of all the dumb things I've done with money. <laughs> we had a guy that I worked with at American Express. So once again, a guy that should know better, guy working in the finance industry, bought a house and uh, the, the dude came up for the appraisal and Rick says, hey man, how you doing? The guy's like, great, here to appraise your house. And Rick goes, okay, fine. Um, listen, I got this beer sitting here. I'm just going to leave it here on the porch, you know, if you get thirsty, feel free to just take the whole thing. Like that'll be great. And the guy just looks at him and goes, well, if you were selling me the beer, how much money would you sell it for? He goes, $385,000. And the appraiser goes, got it. So bad. (laughs) (laughs) Just so bad. Is the statute of limitations up for mortgage fraud? The statute of limitations point? on all that stuff is so... But this this was back before the 2007-8 and... That's what it was. Yes. It's not like we're, you know, you're talking about an outlier situation. That's how... It, would, it wouldn't have mattered if I went to that mortgage guy or 10 other ones. It would have been the exact same. It was interest only, 6%, because that was a good rate. Interest only, because God's not making any more land and the house is only going to go up. You can flip it in like two years for 750 and you'll be fine. 
if you're hanging out with us and you haven't watched the big short, the big short is not lying when they're like, it is crazy. It is just crazy. The people that are getting multiple loans, you know, with the part with the mortgage brokers when they're in Miami and they're like, so how do you guys check your, uh, they're like income. We don't, we don't look at their income (laughs) and they're making a big deal of it. And the hedge fund guys are like, don't look at income. Okay. Yeah. Tell me more, you know, but anyways, all right, back to credit. So live like you're supposed to. Uh, the second thing is you've got to figure this stuff out and there's tons of resources. To, I think the first thing you got to know is how's the credit score calculated? Like what are the components that you're trying to go after? Does it matter if you've got a lot of debt? Does it matter if you don't have a lot? Like once you break that down, you can get a sense of like where the biggest bangs for the bucks are, so to speak. And the biggest one is utilization and payment history. You can't fix a payment history. If you were 30 days late yesterday, it's going to take... 24 months for that thing to get old. It's just going to be there. Now, if it was inaccurate or it was, you know, mistake, there's a way to fix that. But but if you legitimately were 30 days late as of yesterday, it's going to take 24 months for that to to fall off. And two things there. Number one, some companies, if you call them and it was your first time, they will not report it. So call them if you made a mistake and you're late. But then the second thing is, and I love this one, sign up for, and I know, you know, we say pay off the whole thing, but what if you get busy in a month, OG, and you forget, here's what I did. I have an automatic minimum payment that goes to all of my credit cards, whatever the minimum payment is, take it right out of my checking account. And I'll tell you about once every 18 months, that thing triggers. Usually it doesn't trigger because I've already paid off the whole thing before then, but about once every 18 months, but every I, so often it catches you. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, we were in Bavaria. Did I tell you we went to Bavaria? Bavaria. Oh, I, yes. I heard. Went yeah. to Bavaria and totally didn't pay off the balance that month. And I get this thing while I'm in Bavaria. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Because my payment history continually shows that I'm paying it on time. Yep. The third thing is once you understand like where all the pieces are, now you can start spending some time really dissecting different strategies that you can do, or if you choose like this uh, woman's talking about to pay somebody to do it, you know what you're getting yourself into. You know what you're having them try to do. Yeah. They're not just magically. Yeah. And there's some stuff that is a gray area. There's some stuff, like she said, that's completely wrong to do, you know, but there's a lot of things that you can do to protect yourself. And there's a lot of stuff that you can do legally and within the rules of the game, so to speak. And I thought about it like a game. And one of the things is, you know, going through and sending letters to credit reporting agencies, letters, not emails, not phone calls, letters. You go, well, that sounds really, it is really stupid. Sometimes that strategy works, but you have to know how to do it and you have to spend some time and energy doing it on your, on your own. But there are lots and lots of resources out there that will teach you how to do it. And none of it's hidden, by the way, some of these programs too, like Experian, you know, for a while they had their boost program. Still do. Yeah. Still do. Yeah. It's out there. I'm saying that they used to sponsor us. Oh yeah. Well then they're dead to us. Yeah, they're not yeah, sponsoring us. Yeah. You're dead to us. Yeah. We totally shouldn't mention that. But, but if you've got bills, you pay all the time. Experian will look at that. And so uh, sign up for Experian boost and it costs nothing. And people see a little bump in their credit score there. So these little, little things you can learn, but all the credit bureaus, all the credit agencies, TransUnion, Experian, Equifax, they all have programs right on their site. I know FICO has stuff right on their site that will teach you how all this stuff works. Like it's not, it's not hidden. 
it's out there. They'll keep the specific secret sauce to themselves, uh, yeah. trying to stop you from gaming it. But they'll tell you what the big things are that you but can I'm do. But I'm telling to you that you can, you can do some research online that people have reverse engineered this yeah. to figure out somehow to, you said not to game it, but sometimes you can game it. I'll give you a great example of this. It is better to have debt than not have debt, according to the credit reports. That sounds really silly. You think if you're debt-free, that would be great. Well, according to the credit bureaus, it's not. The magic number, this may have changed, but this is what I remember. The magic number was $2. If you had a $10,000 credit card, and at the end of the month, you owed $2, that gave you, in the algorithm, the most points for using it, having some of it available, paying it off, like all the points that you can get, the magical points, the magical fairy dust points, $2. So that may, may, may or may not be the case anymore, but that was years ago. And so you're coming up for getting your mortgage refinance, and normally you pay your credit card off every time, but you charge $3,000 a month on your $10,000 credit card. Just pay it in advance of the statement being over. You know, that's not doing anything illegal. That's not doing anything. You know, that is gaming the system and knowing how to make it work in your favor. And you'll get a little bit of a bump. Well, before we end, I think our longest uh, headline segment ever. Awesome. <laughs> I was going to say, that's pretty long. We're all over. We're, we're caffeinated today, man. I know. I know. I put a little extra panache in my, uh, in my coffee this morning. <laughs> by panache, I mean bourbon. I thought you were going to go double espresso today. Sure. Double espresso bourbon. Yep. Before we have our takeaways uh, from today's headline discussion, we are so happy that Masterclass is a continuing sponsor of the Stacky Benjamin Show. You know, OG, if there is a subscription that for me has continued to pay dividends, it's Masterclass. These are so, and there's so many programs out there by bloggers and YouTubers and whoever, where they say they're giving a Masterclass. I mean, that's how effective it's been. That Masterclass, the title, is being replicated by other places, but I have yet to see Masterclasses done as well. I'm going through the Robin Roberts one on communication lately, and, and this has just been unbelievably good. And Aaron Sorkin, I'm going back to that with Taylor on our team who helps us write our episodes and talking about story and storyline with that. Because there's who can teach you this stuff better than Aaron Sorkin? And not that we're trying to make the West Wing here, but if there's anybody, why not be taught by the best? If you're interested in photography, Annie Leibovitz is on there. Gordon Ramsay is there. I was uh, going to say, we're all over the food ones. Yeah, the food the food ones are just fantastic. We did the uh, Thomas Keller prime rib. We did the little blowtorch thing on the... It's unbelievable. You just felt like a badass with the blowtorch out. Blowtorch oh, yeah. in your food, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've never lit alcohol on fire before, but it's awesome to do in your kitchen. <laughs> It's really awesome. <laughs> With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere. And also, and I like this at my own pace. With over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do, it's much closer than you think. You finally have access to some of the top minds in whatever field you're looking for. OG and I clearly highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every master class. And because you're a stacker, you're going to get 15% off an annual membership. And that OG, just to be clear, that annual membership is an all access membership. 
you're getting them all. Remember the old days where you get like one mm-hmm. annual membership, 15% off because you're a stacker and you're going to get them all. Go to masterclass.com slash stacking. That's masterclass.com slash stacking for 15% off masterclass. Do you want to rent your home? Well, sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. I think our takeaways for today, OG, are number one, cryptocurrencies here to stay, still going to be the wild west, OG. And get to yep. still be much more of a bet than an investment. Sometimes gambling's fun. Not betting against it. I remember in the early days, initially, we were like poo-poo. And then later on, we changed our tone a few years ago to going to be here, but not sure who's going to win. Still, do you know who's going to win? Uh, no. No. Uh, uh, difficult. And still people who get massively ripped off. But, man, is that soaring. And predictable? No, not not at all predictable. And I think our takeaway from headline number two, fix your credit. You can pay somebody, but if you're going to pay them, pay them to give you the knowledge so that you can fix your own credit. And frankly, you need to fix your own credit anyway, because it's no fun paying out all this interest to somebody else. Trust OG and I on that one. We've been there. I am thrilled, OG, to introduce our guest for today's show. Just the fact that uh, he would join us with his busy schedule is awesome. David Cody was the chairman and CEO of this industrial giant company called Honeywell that you may have heard of. Before that, he was with GE. And in fact, we're, we're, we're probably not going to talk to him about this, but but he got fired by Jack Welch and also was not the first person that Honeywell wanted to become CEO. And I'm sure we're going to broach that. There are lots of times in your life, by the way, where you're the person that people don't think can get it done and you still got to go and you got to get it done. And also, whether you're managing the family budget or managing a huge industrial giant's balance sheet, you got to get rid of fuzzy thinking and you have to have clarity around what the goals are. And you also have to figure out a way to get things done today, like you and I talking about when we had no money, had to figure out how to get by today, but still had to plan for long-term better days. And David Cody certainly did this with Honeywell. Listen to this, OG. He took the company's market cap, listen to this, from around $20 billion when he took over to 16 years later, nearly $120 billion, delivering returns of 800% and beating the S&P 500 over the period he was there by about two and a half times. Nice. He not only was named CEO of the year by Chief Executive Magazine 2013, of course, recognized one of the world's best CEOs by Barron's for five straight years. He was also a director to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York to represent the interest of the public from 2014, 2018. But I know the highlight of his life 
is now he's going to be on the Stacking Benjamin show. <laughs> let's say let's say hi to David Cody. And on my dad's shortwave radio, it's David Cody. How are you, man? Doing very well, Joe. Thanks. Well, you know, I like starting our interviews with uh, background and where people came from. And normally in this interview, David, I would ask you those questions, but you've already answered those questions in a Uh-oh. different in a different forum. <laughs> if you don't mind, I want to play you one of my favorite commencement speeches ever. This is you giving the commencement speech. I believe this is the University of New Hampshire. 2011. Let's listen in for a second. We're here in the audience 35 years ago, and they're in the audience today, now accompanied by my youngest son, John. And I gotta say, that's pretty darn cool. Though there's a certain irony in the receipt of this honor, though, because it took me six years to complete a four year degree. And in my sophomore year, I was asked by the assistant dean of students to no longer live on campus. (laughs) Because... (laughs) Her point was that while there was no particularly telling event, she didn't like that I was what she termed a general troublemaker. Now, many commencement speakers address a topic of global significance. However, given the email input from many of you, it seemed more useful to provide a perspective on how I went from being in the audience 35 years ago to being up here today. Of the 186 student emails received, 119 requested some form of life advice, and the remaining 67 provided me with all different kinds of advice. with my favorite being those who said money was unimportant. Now, while I agree money is not the only thing, I would say for those of you expressing that opinion, you clearly do not have kids yet. (laughs) Sometimes I think, David, you missed your career in comedy. (laughs) You know, what was kind of funny about giving that speech is um, when I first started, the audience members, they had a bunch of beach balls going and you could see the beach balls bouncing everywhere. And I thought, oh, boy, OK, oh, well, um, nobody's really going to listen, but I'm, I'm going to do my best. And after I got done with those uh, that kind of set there where I said took me six years to get through school, I got a one eight one of my semesters after my sophomore year is no longer live, allowed to live on campus because I was considered a general troublemaker. The beach balls stopped. And everybody started to listen. It was almost like they, when I just walked up on stage as a CEO, they said, oh, okay, we know the story. Done in three years. Yeah, probably played uh, football, got his MBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that got to do with us? And when I went through my background, it was more like, hey, wait a minute. He's one of us. (laughs) So if he could do it, maybe I should listen. Well, and that's why I wanted to play that for our listeners, because obviously you were there, you gave that speech, so you've already heard it. But it doesn't have to be a straightforward route. It took me seven years to get through my bachelor's because I was paying my own way through, taking a couple classes at a time. How does a guy go, though, from six years of undergraduate school to being the CEO of one of the biggest companies in the United States? Well, as you probably know from the story in my book, I had an epiphany. 
I must have always had the capability. And it was just very latent. And I like to say I was uh, full of ambition, but totally lazy and directionless in terms of how I was going to realize any of that. And I hated school. So I didn't like being in school, even though I was good at it. It was the only thing I was good at. Uh, I didn't like it. Well, uh, I was had that hourly job uh, working nights at uh, GE. My wife was a nurse and working nights. And we lived in this third floor unheated, uninsulated apartment in New Hampshire, which you might imagine gets chilly. On the fourth month, she came to me and said, uh, not only am I pregnant, but I can't work anymore. I did the financial analysis and found out I was spending $2 a week more than I was taking home. And I had 100 bucks in the bank. So I figured I had 50 weeks to figure out what the hell I was going to do. You're like a startup company with a burn rate. Oh, it's exactly it's exactly what it was. I didn't realize that at the time. I was just trying to figure out how the hell do I get myself out of this mess? And I was scared to death. I kept looking at it saying, my kid is going to die because I'm a screw off. I'm going to the VF and playing pool and drinking. And here I am uh, going to be a father. And is, is that who I want to be? So I completely changed everything. I went back to school uh, while I worked, continued working, got a 4-0 that year, uh, quit smoking cigarettes, uh, started working out, and it was just like one step after another. And I'd say those first uh, four or five years were still really, really hard. And I hated every week having to figure out, okay, which bills can I push off that they're not going to come knocking on my door for me or turn me over to a credit collection agency. And man, I hated living that way. And I, I say that was a strong motivator for me is I always tell my oldest son, he's the reason I'm successful. And he's always kind of funny, you know, he'll grab his lapels, pull, pull him out and says, yeah, I peaked early. <laughs> <laughs> He's very funny. That's fantastic. Uh, but Honeywell was really in the same condition. If you think about it, there's another analogy there. When you took over at Honeywell, the company was not doing great. You tell the story about, about uh, CNBC and turning it on when you first got there and they were talking about what a disaster the company was and how they predicted you were going to be a disaster too. Uh, t t tell me about Honeywell when you first got there. Uh, well, it was very different than what had been portrayed to me. Uh, I knew it was in trouble. Uh, everybody knew that based on everything that was going on externally, because it was uh, three companies that had been put together, high expectations, unrealized, became a takeover bait, and that didn't end up getting realized. A lot of management had left, very dispirited. So everybody knew that, including me. The thing I didn't know until I got there was how bad it was internally. And the amount of aggressive, let's say, unhealthy bookkeeping that had gone on, generating income but no cash, the unrecognized liabilities that we had for things like asbestos, significantly underfunded pension plan, a uh, environmental liabilities that a hundred-year-old chemical company will have that had never been addressed and. One of the leaders there told me, look, the only way to deal with the environmental is to fight it in court until you lose and then pay. And that's what we were dealing in, dispirited ranks because we hadn't done well for a long time and a lot of people had left. So it was none of that was apparent from the outside. And it wasn't even apparent from the inside, because for the four, first four and a half months that I was the CEO, I was not allowed to look at the books. 
And, and this, this was determined by the board and the chairman of the board. When I would ask a finance guy something as simple as, so how's the quarter going? I was told, I'm sorry, Dave, but I've been instructed not to answer any of those questions from you. So, yeah, it was quite a mess. And I, I didn't realize it until I became chairman. I ended up missing my uh, numbers, commitments to Wall Street immediately because uh, the numbers that were out there were unmakeable and predicated, again, on aggressive bookkeeping, which I refused to do. And it kind of added substance to all the concerns that the reporters had saying, not sure this company can be turned around. And if it can, not sure this is the guy who can do it after all. He wasn't the first choice. Uh, he didn't make it to the first tier of the GE succession race. And he wasn't even the first choice to run Honeywell, uh, both of which were true. <laughs> so it's like they already had a low opinion of me and I managed to lower the bar a little further. So it was, it was pretty uncomfortable. There was a lot of, let's call a long time there. When you're in that situation, I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes. Are you going home at night and, and telling your family, you know what? I just got to do what's best for me. Like I have to look in the mirror every day because it seems like as I was reading through the book, you started off really by helping Honeywell get naked, so to speak, to actually look in the mirror instead of convincing ourselves that, you know, all these smoke and mirrors that they've got going on, these dogs and pony shows that you were a part of. Uh, you're absolutely right. But, you know, quite honestly, I had no one to talk to because uh, I couldn't trust my board, couldn't trust my staff. Uh, there was really nobody to talk to. And I kind of figured I had uh, two or three alternatives. One was to just keep doing what had been done. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be in, I was 49. I said, if I'm going to be in this job for 10 or 15 years, I do not want to live like this for 10 or 15 years. Another was I could have just run away and said to hell with all of you. I'm, this is not what I signed up for. And I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, I chose the third path, which said, okay, uh, not what I thought it was going to be, but that oftentimes happens in life. So when the situation changes, you have to change. And I looked at it and said, okay, I think I can do something with this, but it's not going to happen unless I absolutely scrub everything down. And I'm going to start from the very beginning and I'm just going to go on a tear and tell everybody none of this stuff is tolerable anymore and we will miss our numbers before we engage in any of these bad practices. I started addressing all of our issues, none of which were, I'd say, appreciated by investors or um, my leadership when I first started doing it. Well, and that's what I was going to ask was that how did your team respond to that when you told them that was going to be the case? I'd say it was kind of a mixed reaction because most of them had been doing this this way for the 10 or 15 years they'd been with the company. And this was just the way you did business. So I can tell you the corporate finance guys hated me and told me I was destroying the company, destroying the stock price, and I was going to ruin everything. A number of the business leaders thought, okay, good that we're getting out of this kind of junk right now. But the thing they didn't like was that I had a very demanding set of different expectations for them. I was not taking them off the hook for how to perform when it came to customers and investors. What I was taking them on off the hook for was signing up for unrealistic expectations that could only be supported by aggressive accounting. But I fully expected that they were going to do a much better job running their businesses, understanding their businesses, having a strategy that made sense and making sure we did a 
great job developing new products and services and globalizing. So what they really traded was one set of demanding circumstances that I didn't think worked for the long term for a different set of demanding circumstances. They liked relief on the former. Uh, they did not like the set of demands on the, on the second part of it. But how do you thread that needle, David? I mean, on one hand, you're talking about uh, making the numbers short term, but also long term, setting up the company in a much, a much better financial footing. You know, we talk to people about credit card debt in the same way, right? Get, yeah. Quit playing these games with your credit cards, get an emergency fund, get your budget together. It seems like on one hand, you'd want to be a micromanager and go in there and micromanage everything they did and help them. But on the other side, you can't do that with a company the size of Honeywell. So how do you lay down that leadership without being a micromanager? Well, I have to go back to kind of the premise of the book, which is this concept that success is always about achieving two seemingly conflicting things at the same time. That's a principle that I absolutely believe in. I felt I had an original discovery of this 30, 35 years ago, the first time I came across it when I was running an inventory reduction task force. Think of it this way. Do you want low inventory or do you want great customer delivery? Do you want low functional costs for things like finance, legal, HR, or do you want great internal customer service? Do you want people closest to the action empowered for quick decisions, or do you want good control so nothing bad happens? Do you want good short-term results, or do you want good long-term results? People always want to frame it as you got to pick one. The reality of success is you've got to accomplish two seemingly conflicting things at the same time. Now, I ended up finding out over time it was not an original discovery, centuries old, actually, which then led me to, well, how come if it clearly works and it makes sense, why doesn't everybody do it? And the answer is because it's hard. You have to think very differently. And that's why the title of the first chapter is Banishing Intellectual Laziness. You have to start thinking differently about things. With inventory and uh, customer delivery, it was how do you reduce cycle time as a root cause? When it comes to short-term, long-term, it comes uh, so that you perform in both. It's, all right, how do I generate the income flexibility so that I have more money than what I've committed externally that I can now invest? And that's where we focused on how do we grow sales and hold fixed costs constant. Makes a huge difference. The amount of fall through you get on income is huge. Why doesn't everybody do it? Because holding fixed costs flat is hard. It 60 to 90% of it is people related. And the only way you're going to get after that is with process improvement, which doesn't come easily. It's tough to do. But that's what I got everybody focused on was, okay, here's how we're going to do this. It wasn't just uh, we're going to tank everything or uh, we're just going to invest for the long term regardless. It was we're going to accomplish both and this is how we're going to do it. And then got everybody to do it. And getting everybody to do it, is the, I think, is probably the hard part of that, right? It really is. I've, uh, I often say uh, with any big change that you're trying to do, the biggest issue you run into is mindset, no matter what it is, uh, whether you're trying to implement like a Toyota production system, uh, some of the things that uh, we implemented, the short term, long term you're talking about, people become very adept at what I call compliance with words versus compliance with intent. 
And yeah, okay, you want us to do this kind of stuff? Yep, 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 yep. You know, they did it all. Okay, so now I can get on with my job. And they don't really internalize the change that you're trying to get in behavior. And that takes time. And you have to really work it. And the whole organization has to see that not not only do you believe it, but that you act that way, that you truly walk the talk. I want to focus on two of the tactics that you use in the book to do that from the early chapters, David, which was number one. And, and by the way, for everybody listening, whether you run a family or, or a Cub Scout troop or whatever, I think these work. Uh, first of all, is you change the way that meetings happen. Talk to me about your perfect meeting. <laughs> well, uh, it's interesting because this is another one that I kind of uh, stumbled across, if you will. And going back to the uh, beginning, I couldn't trust my board and I couldn't trust my staff. So if I was having a meeting to discuss an issue and I had a thought about how to address the issue, just my expressing it immediately mobilized people into various camps against it because Dave wants it, for it because Dave wants it, don't care, just decide something and I'll go do it. Well, Given that I felt like as a leader, I was going to be measured on making good decisions, that's not a recipe for a good decision. And for me, the fundamental was to get make a good decision, you needed to get all the facts and the opinions on the table. So really out of self-protection, I started in one meeting by just uh, not telling them what I thought about something, just saying, OK, here's our issue. And encourage the debate, which takes more work than it might sound, because uh, some people participate very easily. A lot of others don't. And you have to find a way to actually call on them to uh, ensure that they do. You have to, as a leader, people will be looking at you to, okay, uh, you know, is he expressing an opinion one way or another? And which way is he leaning? And I made a point of when somebody said something that I might have disagreed with or was not consistent with what I thought maybe needed to be done, I would actually advocate for that point of view and just say, well, why wouldn't that be true? And encourage the debate. Tougher is when somebody says something you do agree with and not jumping in to say, yeah, you know, I think she's got it. I think that could be it. And instead, just make sure the debate is happening. And I would spend a lot of time looking for facial expressions, body language, and I would call on everyone to make sure that I got their uh, suggestions. Then when we got to the end of the meeting, I would turn to the most junior person in the room and say, so what do you think I ought to do? And in the beginning, man, did that cause panic. Because uh, the junior person, the first thing they do is look at their boss. I can imagine just the big eyes, like the the deer in the headlight eyes coming. No, that's exactly right. Because it's like, I've never been asked in my life what somebody thinks uh, the leader ought to do. So they're totally discombobulated. They look to their boss, who immediately goes to jump in. And I'd always put on my hand and say, no, no, I'll get to you. I promise. I want to know what this person thinks. And I'd work my way all the way uh, room, all the way to the most senior person. It, same, same question every time, not offering an opinion, just listening. Then when we got done, then I would say, OK, here's my decision. And I would describe why I made the decision, because uh, obviously, if you're exchanging those kinds of opinions, there's a bunch of people who the decision is going to go against. 
And there's a strong tendency amongst people to say, to th- or at least to think, gee, if the boss didn't agree with what I said, it's obvious the boss wasn't listening because listening is tantamount to agreeing. And I always wanted to make it very clear in my explanation, no, I did listen. And I do understand what your point is, but I think it's outweighed by this. Uh, The other thing is people never saw any recriminations out of any meeting where uh, just because they said something or I disagreed with it, nobody ever saw anything happen from that. So that over time, they realized that I wanted their participation. And as a result of that, I found myself making much better decisions. Now, I mean, there are a couple of things you still have to be careful of. And even though I had told everybody on my staff, do not ever walk into my office after a meeting and say, hey, boss, here's what I couldn't say in the meeting, but you need to know. So you might need to revisit your decision. And even though I made that really clear, it still happened twice in the beginning. And I got angry with the people both times and said, great. So all you did is waste 10 people's time for an hour because you didn't have the courage to say something because you thought somebody might be bothered by what you said or might not like you as a result. And what kind of leader are you if this, even after I've said not to do it, you still did it. That's great. Now we've got to reconvene the whole meeting and I want you to say what you just said to see if that changes anything. And both times I reconvened everybody and said, okay, uh, so-and-so had something that they wish they'd said in the meeting and they didn't. So here it is. Interestingly, it changed nothing. Nothing. Both times it changed nothing. Wow. But you have to stop the people coming in. You know, you get this last person in the door gets the decision kind of mentality. And I wanted an environment where everybody knew I wanted them to speak up. There were no recriminations of any kind. I wanted them thinking when they went in there, not just presenting and them knowing that they had to think, I I think just generated much better meetings. And as a result of that, I made better decisions. The only downside to it is uh, the minimal ego hit you have to be prepared for when um, you've gone in and you have a certain perspective on what ought to be done. Somebody else raises that point in the meeting because of course you're not. That's the way the decision goes. And everybody else credits that person for the idea. And you want to say, hey, wait a minute, uh, that was my idea, too. And you have to just be able to put your pride in your back pocket just a little bit and say, OK, I'm getting measured on good decisions here, not whether the idea is perceived as mine. I feel like you're a guy that would have read a bunch of uh, Tom Peters work. And I feel like in that situation, you'd have to do what Tom Peters, the he's a management guru for people that aren't familiar with Tom talks about, which is those people will be more than happy to credit back to you then though, David. I mean, you see all the people that point to you for their success. It feels like you've created this atmosphere of sharing, which ultimately I think once again, the longer term thing would help your ego. No, I completely agree with that. This is just one of those little short-term things that just kind of, it's a human emotion. You can't avoid it. And the worst thing you could be doing is saying, hey, wait a minute, I had that idea too. That that was my, that was, that's what I was thinking when I first walked in here today. Uh, You just don't do that. You just kind of smile and uh, move on. And like you said, you recognize uh, there'll be plenty of kudos for you down the line when everything works out. 
It's just kind of a funny human nature thing. <laughs> Absolutely. I could think of 50 times where I'm like, well, that's not Sally's idea. That was my idea. Come on. Yeah. Everyone has to read, by the way, your thoughts on presentations as well. That is a highlight that we won't get to today because I want to save time for the white sheet of paper exercise. I think our audience will find this incredibly compelling. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, it's a principle uh, that I call re-anchoring. And I mean, I really picked it up from if you read any negotiations book, they'll talk about uh, re-anchoring. And it's uh, what it tries to do is get people out of their established headset. And whenever you're trying to get people to change, change anything, uh, factory footprint, uh, process, a contract, they have a strong tendency to start with, here's how things are. And these are the changes I would like, which sounds pretty logical. But what you find is it severely restricts your thinking because you're anchored in how things work. Instead, I uh, would develop, I call these uh, the white sheet of paper exercise where I would tell people, okay, you know, I have a white sheet of paper. I want you to design a factory footprint or a process or a new labor contract. And I want you to design it so that it is perfect from the very beginning. No, no regard for how things are, just make it perfect today. What does that look like? It's really remarkable when you, because it's completely a mental thing, a headset thing. When you pull people out of that, here's how things are today, they start thinking totally differently. And the difference then, you look at it and go, okay, here's what it should look like if you were establishing it today. Here's what it does look like today. So now how are you going to get from where we are to where we ought to be? And it's remarkable. Uh, the steps people take that they thought were just impossible when they were looking at it based on where they were today uh, all of a sudden become minimal. That's baby steps. No, we need to take this huge leap. This is where we need to go. And it's just remarkable what it does to change how people think about things. People talk about 10Xing things all the time. And this singular thing, I think, is a big way to 10X whatever you're looking at. It works like a charm. It's really surprising. You would think, how can that possibly have that big an impact? You just tell people to you know, think about it and they'll do it. And you find, no, that's that's not true. It's just not how people are. The book is called Winning Now, Winning Later, How Companies Can Succeed in the Short Term While Investing for the Long Term. As a recovering financial planner, David, I even found this good for working through family situations. You know, I mean, if you're working with your company correctly, I think it's a lot like working with a big, healthy family. Uh, <laughs> available everywhere, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. And uh, this is a book that I'll be referring to over and over and over and over again. Thank you so much. Well, you're very kind, uh, Joe. And it's uh, interesting that uh, UNH speech you talked about, I was a little surprised, like a year and a half later, uh, NPR selected it as one of the 350 best since 1774. Did they really? Yeah, I'm not kidding. I had no idea until it got published and a friend sent it to me and said, is this you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I said, you know, all I did is I 
wrote it at my kitchen counter, thinking about all the advice I'd given to my two sons over the course of their lives. And was there a better way to encapsulate it? That's awesome. That's, that's so, that's so awesome. Uh, so, so which one's bigger, by the way, uh, the fact that NPR picked it or the fact that Stacking Benjamins referred to it? Oh, you got to go with your show. Absolutely. <laughs> Hey stackers, I'm your trivia pal, Joe's mom's neighbor Doug, and here on International Skeptics Day, I just gotta ask, do you actually think that skeptics even care enough about being skeptical to put a date on the calendar devoted to skepticism? To say the least, I'm pretty skeptical that would ever even happen. One date we know for sure though, was that on this date in 2000, Billy Gates stepped down as CEO of Microsoft. Obviously, the company has done well lately, so here's a trivia question. Who immediately replaced him? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can believe, because I know you won't. If you're an active duty service member, veteran, DOD, civilian, or military family member, you can join Navy Federal. That means if you've served in any branch of the military, you can join Navy Federal Credit Union. On average, Navy Federal members earn and save Get this, OG, 3611 more per year. You can pay no fees, get low rates and rate discounts, plus earn cash back and grow your savings. Have a large credit card balance after the holidays? We just talked about that on today's show. Let Native Federal Credit Union help you rebalance your priorities. Make a plan to do away with high interest credit card debt and refinance your balance to a Navy Federal credit card. With a low intro APR, no balance transfer fees, you can pick the right card to help you take back control. Visit NavyFederal.org. Navy Federal Credit Union, our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, dollar value of Navy Federal's 2019 member give back study, 25.9-9 to 18% variable APRs based on product type and credit worthiness up to $1 cash advanced transaction fees at non-Navy Federal ATMs. Well, as you may know, managing your money's typically been complicated, time-consuming, and just another reason to bite your nails. But for half a million investors who have accounts with M1 Finance, investing smarter, more automated, and easier than ever, do yourself a favor this year and check out M1. This finance super app is designed to be personalized for your needs, and their automation tools make it simpler to reach your financial goals. With M1, you can invest how you want with access to fractional shares and unmatched automation for free. You can borrow against your investments at super low rates too, just two to three and a half percent and use this flexible portfolio line of credit for anything like investing more in your portfolio, refinancing other loans or funding large projects. M1 ties it together all in a free digital account. So you've more flexibility and smoother money movements you don't have a lot of dashboards. I added that part myself, OG. Don't want to have a lot of dashboards. My opinion right there. Have one. Just keep in mind, borrowing involves higher risks. Rates can vary. Visit m1finance.com forward slash SB to sign up. And guess what? Because you're a stacker, you'll get $30 to invest. Again, that's visit m1finance.com forward slash SB to sign up. You'll get $30 to invest. Terms and conditions apply. If you pay your credit cards off every month like you should, you want to hear something amazing? 
Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. And how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places Discover's accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply. Hey, trivia fans, I'm your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. So if I'm being honest with you, and you know, I always am, today's pretty convenient holiday for me because I'm a naturally skeptical guy. Like, for example, do we really have two listeners? Seems to me like there's not more than one. And when Joe's mom doesn't listen, I mean, hello, hello, is anybody out there? So many questions. But there's one question we know will be answered today, and that's our trivia question, which was this. After Bill Gates stepped down as CEO of Microsoft on this date in 2000, who immediately replaced him as CEO? Well, Gates stepped down as CEO at the age of 45 so he could spend more time on the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, his nonprofit organization, supposedly, and I quote, dedicated to improving the quality of life for individuals around the world, yada, yada, yada. Based on some of the weird stuff I've read online, I'm pretty skeptical about that. Actually, and truthfully, I'm skeptical about all the skeptics about Bill Gates. But he was replaced by the future owner of the L.A. Clippers and his former college roomie, Steve Ballmer. While growing the company immensely, the stock price didn't begin to make huge jumps until Balmer's successor, Satya Nadella. I gotta go because I'm skeptical anyone's actually even listening right now, so I'm probably just wasting my time with you people or nobody. So I'm gonna go talk to myself in the other room. See ya! Man, if you want two words that have been great for a company's stock price, OG, Sadia Nadella. Mm-hmm. Been fantastic for Microsoft. I think a lot of people thought Microsoft was dead. It was pretty flat for a long time. Just old, boring company. And uh, certainly a company that now a lot of investors go, hmm. In fact, remember the whole Fang changing that to Mang thing? <laughs> You know, yeah. can't have the Fang stocks. We need the main. We got to replace. We got to buy Microsoft and maybe not so much Facebook. Uh, interesting story. Speaking of interesting story, thanks to David Cody for stopping by. This idea, OG, and you see it all the time in your meetings. So let's take what he's talking about with companies and let's make it actionable for individuals. The fuzzy thinking that you see people have around their goals, getting rid of that hundred page report, which I think in a client meeting probably sounds a lot more like, well, I think we want this and we might want this. And I'm thinking we're directionally going to take some of this money and do this. Like getting rid of that fuzzy thinking is the key to getting where you want to go. True or false? A hundred percent true. Those are easy questions. Give me another one. <laughs> well, well, and it, and it is asking the hard questions up front too around those fuzzy numbers, like recognizing that they're fuzzy numbers and going, you know what? That's a fuzzy number. Let's get rid of it. Let's take this 100-page report. Let's take all this stuff that's in your head. Let's write it down, and let's make it four pages, please. Helene Olin, when she was on, talking about the best financial plans you can recite, maybe the whole financial plan with all of the, the back testing and the, you know, the charts and graphs and stuff might be many pages. 
you should be able to put your financial plan on a napkin, right? Just the basics of it. Yeah. What do you have? Where are you going? And most importantly, why are you going there? Yeah. And then this idea of balancing, you know what we're going to, so if you're paying down your debt, as an example, putting some money in that emergency fund at the same time, really, I mean, David Cody didn't talk about this, but this is the win now, win later thing, right? If I put Mm -hmm. every dollar toward my debt today and my mufflers dragging behind my car four months from now, where do I got to go for cash? If I'm going to win later, I've got to do a little bit of both. I got to put money in that emergency fund. That's my win later money. I know I'm not winning with that money now because crap, it's earning what? Zero. Yes. And I got to win today by paying off my credit card debt. Both of those things. And I think this is also true for for people with these long-term goals where they say, well, I'll be happy later if I get that. No, no, no. It's not about happy later. It's about I need some money to be happy today and some money to be happy tomorrow. Right. But the fuzzy thinking thing was really what what hit me because I don't know about you, but I even looked at my own life and I thought, I've got so much fuzzy thinking. There's so much crap that's in my head. And it was cool just to pull the just to pull the curtain back a little bit. David Cody and I initially talked before the end of the year. And I gotta tell you, my end of the my 2021 goal planning after I talked to David, just it's so much easier just to have, you know, three or four or five very specific things than to be like, I really hope that our you know, take the podcast. I really hope that the podcast grows. You know, it should grow. I noticed that I was just kind of multitasking, as you probably noticed. I was on Slack, and I just literally read what you wrote on Slack yesterday with very specific 10.4, da 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 Like, that's obviously a result of this conversation. Crystal clear thinking. Big thanks again to Dave. Hey, let's throw out Dave and Lifeline, OG. And tackle some of life's most important questions, our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency. They put what you value first, OG. Uh, Family. Family. I value family. What do they value most? That's crystal clear thinking right there. It's actually, they say your family and your time. And listen, I'm sure Dave Cody's like, nope, make that one thing. Get rid of this fuzzy thinking, two things, family and time. It's got to be just family. Mm -hmm. And it's actually your loved ones. So... Mm. Yeah, you know, same, same. Yes. But that's why they make buying quality term life insurance actually simple because you don't want to spend all day doing this. Get rid of the long, long, long forms. They've crystallized what they want to make the form much easier, gives you a much better customer service experience. And they have one of the best online calculators to determine how much you need when it comes to insurance that I've seen. Because as you know, OG, it's, it looks more like a field goal, right? Than in a specific number. You got a couple numbers, you got to stay between these. Then you put your feelings in the middle. Where do I want to be? Do I need a little more? Do I need a little less? Haven Life has the only calculator I've seen that does that. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life for more. And today we're going to throw out the Haven Lifeline to our friend, Michael. Say hi, Michael. Is this Joe and OG? This is Mike from my dad's attic. My friend Nikki said that her brother had an internet radio show when they were looking for people to call in. All you need to do is use a shortwave radio. I'm glad I found one in the attic. Here's my question. I was on unemployment for two months while raising my daughter when daycare was closed. I was fortunate enough to receive unemployment, but I noticed they did not take on any taxes. Will I need to pay taxes on that amount? Could we be subject to underpayment penalty from the IRS? Would you recommend prepaying so my tax bill isn't as large in April? 
And how do you figure out how much you need to pay? Thank you very much. Nikki warned me that I would not learn anything. I always wanted to be on an internet radio show. Thank you for making my wish come true. <laughs> my sister Nikki. Friends with Mike. There you go. It's good that he was able to find the shortwave too, to write to us. Although we could have told him to just go to stackybedjamins.com forward slash voicemail. But hey, if you got a shortwave radio sitting around, write us that way. Uh, tax on unemployment, Mr. OG. Uh, yuppers. If it's income, it's taxable. So yeah, you can pay taxes on it. It's the circle of life. They give it and then they take it back. <laughs> and they take it away. Yeah, remember that no take backs thing they had in uh, in elementary school? Yeah, government doesn't play that game. Uh, sadly, Joe, you're right. The um, unemployment benefits, the additional unemployment benefits, they're all going to be taxable uh, and reconciled on your 2020 tax returns, uh, which you know are getting close to being due here over the next uh, couple three months. So here's the safe harbor number. So you asked about paying early to avoid a penalty. As long as you paid 90 percent of what you owe and 110% of last year's number or 110% of last year's number, what you owed, you're going to be good. So if you have a bunch of income that one didn't have any taxes taken out, you're probably going to want to send an estimated payment before uh, Friday. So you've got uh, a few days to get it done and then get your get your taxes filed. I don't know if any of the tax software that's on online are open and running yet, but it would be a good idea to take your last pay stub from unemployment, uh, you know, if your spouse worked, plug that in real quick and just kind of just kind of run through, just get a big broad brushstroke of looks like we're going to owe two grand, or looks like we're going to owe, you know, or get a thousand dollars back or something like that. Some of those tools should be available right now, and that could kind of guide your decision making for Friday. But um, but yeah, if you haven't had any taxes taken out, I'd add up the amount that you uh, that you got, multiply it by I don't know, give or take fifteen or twenty percent, send a check to the G. See where the dust settles. Well, and, and here here may be another way to do that, Mike. Uh, this has worked for some people in the past. If you work for, quote, the man now, and they're withholding taxes, rather than send a bunch of money at once, OG, just have them figure out how much you owe, spread it over the rest of the year by working with your HR to overwithhold, right? Withhold extra money from your current paychecks. And that way, you can spread the pain out over the next several months. Well, and that works this year, but it doesn't really work for last year. For last year. If it's uh, from last year, Mike, you want to just do your taxes as soon as possible so you know how much you're going to owe. By the way, the bad news too is regardless of whether you file an extension or not, uh, the money is due by tax filing day. Yep. And it's also true that rather than borrow money from the IRS by not paying, that's a case where it is usually a better idea to take out a loan because the IRS's uh, interest rate higher than most other interest rates that you can find. Thanks for the question. If you've got a question for us, head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash voicemail. You don't have to go to the attic to find the shortwave radio. You can actually, if you've got a microphone on your phone, or on your computer, just head to that link and uh, there it is. Hit the button and just like Mike, we can answer your question. And I know that Doug's going to thank uh, most everybody here today. What a, what a fantastic, fun show we had. But got to say a big thanks to you for hanging out with us. Thanks to everybody who's left us a review 
of this show, especially the person that said that I'm neither funny nor witty. Um, nice. So I didn't see that. So we one. got that going for us. Not wrong. Definitely not wrong. And if you know somebody who needs to hear David Cody's message, I think uh, a great message or somebody with bad credit that needs to hear, can't just fix your credit, can't pay somebody to take care of your credit problem. And finally, after this last year that we had of uh, economic chaos, I think you deserve to hear an objective second opinion from a friend you can trust and OG and his team could be that friend. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG to get on he and his team's calendar and see what it would take to have them help you make better financial decisions in 2021. All right. I think that puts a lid on this show. Doug, it's your turn to talk again. Yeah, Joe, I'll give you a hand again. Not like you need it. Uh, First, take a lesson from our headline. Cryptos? Still the Wild West. Just a much richer version of the Wild West. Maybe there's gold in them thar hills after all, but you gotta watch where you step. Second, take a lesson from David Cody. Whether you are running a business organization or a team, you can balance winning in the short term with winning in the long term. Get rid of fuzzy thinking. Push your team. Don't worry if you're the right person to lead. David Cody took forever to get there, too. But the big takeaway? Don't be too skeptical about things on today's holiday, skeptics. I told Joe's mom I was skeptical whether these windows were actually dirty. And she said, I should also be skeptical about the laundry. I swear I can't even win. Special thanks to David Cody for joining us today to discuss his book, Winning Now, Winning Later, How Companies Can Succeed in the Short Term While Investing for the Long Term. We'll have a link to David's book on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, Visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor.
Welcome to the after show. We have Sandy Waters back <laughs> from last week's after show because uh, we were talking on that show a week ago and I realized I had another story about which I never have stories. So that's surprising. When you were talking, Sandy, about kids and about Christmas time and getting all the things on their list, yeah. a friend of mine, Mike, told me a story just before Christmas when the PlayStation 2 came out. So quite a long time ago. His son was really excited about getting the PlayStation 2, and they went to Santa at the mall and asked for the PlayStation 2. And by the way, parents, this probably isn't a good story to leave on <laughs> if the whole family's here, because we're going to say some not very good stuff for kids. So five, four, three, two, one. All right. I'm going to assume kids are gone. So then Mike starts looking up the PlayStation 2 stuff. And the PlayStation was just like it is now, the Xbox and the PlayStation, you know, nobody could get it over the holidays. It's just, it's the hardest thing to get. People on eBay selling them for double what they cost, what would cost if you could find it in a store. So Mike starts laying the groundwork here with his son, Jacob, and goes, you know, Jake, uh, Santa might have a hard time finding a PS2 this year because it's, I don't know if you've seen the news. And Jacob looks at him and goes, have some faith, dad. This is Santa Claus. This isn't somebody else. Mike's like, oh, crap. So then Mike continually on his way home from work is going by GameStop, goes by Target, going by all the stores looking for them. Can't get it. Can't get it. Asking when the shipments come in, show up that day. And there's five people in front in line and they get all of them, right? So it's finally Christmas Eve and they drive about five hours south of us to his in-law's house. And the whole week before, he's been saying, Jacob, you know, I, I, I don't at this PlayStation 2, Santa Claus, I'm just telling you, there's everybody's talking about how hard this thing is to get. And Jacob keeps going, calm down, dad. Santa Claus has it. This is Santa Claus. Christmas Eve, they're sitting around the table talking about what they're thankful for and what they're thinking about Christmas Eve. And Jacob says, I, I'm just super happy that Santa Claus is going to bring me a PlayStation 2. <laughs> oh, no. And so Mike's, Mike is just sweating and goes, okay, I'm going to give it one more shot. So he starts calling everybody in Houston, in the Houston area, all these stores, and finds one. And, and, and I probably don't remember all the story, Mike, so I apologize if I'm getting some of these facts wrong. But I think the store was over an hour away, this GameStop. And he calls and the guy goes, 10 minutes ago, I would have said I don't have one, but somebody just returned one. So I have one. And Mike goes, hold it for me. I'll be there. The guy goes, how soon can you get here? Because we close in 15 minutes. And he's like, I'm like an hour and 15 minutes away. But he said, please, please, if, if you can stay, I will give you whatever money. I don't, I don't care. I really need to get this PlayStation because my kid has it in his head that this is, this is what he's getting. And finally, begging and begging, the guy says, okay, get here as fast as you can. I'll wait for you. So just under an hour later, Mike gets to this place, driving super fast, gives the guy a nice tip for waiting for him, Right takes the PlayStation, wraps it up, puts it under the tree from Santa Claus. So the next morning, everybody comes downstairs. The whole family's opening up their stuff and Jacob gets this box in front of him. And Jacob gets all excited and wide-eyed and he slowly peels the paper back and he 
doesn't see it. And then all of a sudden he sees the PlayStation logo and goes, PlayStation 2! It's a PlayStation 2! This is fantastic! Turns to his dad and goes, In your face! Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.